right, good morning. We are ending something that we've been doing for about eight weeks or so called Something to Believe in. And throughout this series, we've been outlining really the core beliefs of Cultivate Church and why they matter for us as a church and for us as individuals. And so today, we're bringing it on home. The train's going into the station. We are on our very last one, and we're talking about the church. And so this provides us a great opportunity to discuss what the church is, what the church does, and specifically what God has done and is doing here and where we're going in the future. So I'm really excited uh, for it this morning. I hope you are too. And uh, if you watch Facebook at all, then you would see that I kind of made a teaser for something, and, and, uh, and that'll be coming up shortly. But let's get, let's get to the actual belief. This is what we believe about the church. The church is the community of God's redeemed people. It does not consist of a building, denomination, or a set of rituals. The church exists to continue the mission of God in the world, reconciling creation to its creator. It accomplishes this mission by spreading the good news of Jesus and demonstrating God's love, mercy, and forgiveness in action. Let me ask this to start out. How many of you, when you try to invite your friends here to this community, say to your friends, your family, your neighbors, the person that you're trying to influence, um, would you like to come with me to church? How many of you said that? Come on, be honest with me. I know it's, it's either you've said it or you haven't invited anyone. Those are the only, those are the only two options. Um, I've said it too. And uh, there's nothing wrong with the sentiment behind that statement, that question, uh, that invitation, but it gives a sense of something that may actually be inaccurate. It may actually be inaccurate. Um, For a long time in my own life, when I was growing up, I uh, melded the two ideas of the church being tied up, bound to a particular place, and that particular place had very distinct qualities to it. What are some of those qualities to the place that I'm talking about, physical attributes to the place that we often call the church? Steeple, yes. Stained glass, pews, organ, hymns, choir robes, bells, sermons. Hey now, hey now. (laughs) Confession. Boring. Holy water. Sure. Crosses. Yes. Baptism pools. Yes. Yeah. Any church. Any church. Yeah. So what we're talking about is some of the things that we often picture when the word church comes into our mind. Most of us, if we're being honest, picture physical realities, do we not? So it doesn't matter what our background is and where we were involved. We picture to ourselves a physical place that has certain characteristics that are physical in nature. Um, This was my kind of upbringing, too. When I I went to church, I thought of all the same things that you did, the stained glass, the steeple, all those elements. And they, they may have been different elements for you, some of them, depending on your background and where you came from, um, than they were for me. But those elements were still there. Uh, That kind of changed for me when I got involved in a church that didn't meet in a place that had most of those elements. Uh, So my roommate said to me one 
Saturday evening, tomorrow morning, would you like to go to church? Here's my thought. I'm thinking all of the things that you started thinking about, right? Um, most of those things I was not interested in, to say the least. Uh, you know, I, I just didn't have a feeling like I needed to be part of the things that I pictured when he said church. He ins- insisted, no, 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 uh, it's something different. It's something other than that. Just come with me and you'll see. And so I came and went to an elementary school down a hallway that's intended for school children into a gymnasium that had two hoops in it <laughs> and a basketball court and bleachers, no stained glass window. What is up with this? In front, there's a screen and a band playing. There's a simple uh, stand. There, there are che- chairs that are collected sort of in a semicircle. And there are people gathering and talking and having a great time. All throughout the, the, the church service, I'm listening and going, this has not been my experience of what a church is all about. So I left there and continued to have from that day a different understanding of what the church is. Here's the thing, though. All of us bring to the table some kind of understanding of what the church is. Even if we've never been involved with it before in our lives, even just seeing a church building on the corner as we drive by and watching people come in and out, in and out of that building, we have certain things going on in our mind that we associate to that type of activity. And so I want to sort of diagnose some of those popular mentalities of what we tend to think of the church as. And so you're going to think that these are caricatures, but what I would encourage you to do is to sort of look deeper, maybe at your own heart, and say, have I sort of gotten the idea that one of these things may be the way that I actually perceive the church and its activity in the world? So we're going to talk about a few of them. The first one is that church is a spiritual Disneyland. It is the magic kingdom uh, in the world, right? It is the place of happiness and smiling and entertainment, and music, and, uh, and entertainment. And so, and so I go to church for what purpose? It's to be entertained. Yeah, I, I go in order to get something out of it. That thing that I'm looking to get out of it is entertainment. Um, listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with entertainment. I hope that you guys have a great time while you're here. I hope you enjoy yourselves while you're part of this community. Um, But here's what may, in fact, happen if you view the church as a place of entertainment. You may think to yourself when you leave um, something like a checklist that you start running down where you think, okay, bad, adequate, good, great. And you go down your checklist and you think, okay, the, the greeting was sufficient. The band that hit this morning, fantastic, right? Great job. Um, you know, all the different elements of what we think, and we critique our experience based on how much entertainment we gained from that experience. This is a a pretty unhealthy way to view church. The the second one that I want to talk about is a, a spiritual hospital. And so I don't go to church necessarily to get entertained. I go to be healed. And so when I walk into a church building, I have a certain 
diagnosis that's wrong with me. I'm looking for the antidote to that diagnosis. And I think that somehow the church may provide that antidote. The, the problem with this mentality is that nobody likes to be in a hospital. Right? Anybody like to just, you know, unless you're working there and maybe getting paid for the experience, who likes to hang out in a hospital as a patient? You, you are looking nothing, for nothing more than to leave that environment so that you can go on with the rest of your life, right? And so people that view the church as a hospital go there when they feel sick and leave when they feel well, right? They see it as a hospital. Why would I go back to that environment if I don't feel sick? Uh, the, the third one is this, that we can see church as a spiritual gas station. So in other words, it's a place that I go for fuel for my week. So I go to the gas station, my tank is empty, I plug it in, I fill up the gas tank, and when I'm done filling up, I take the nozzle out and I drive on my way until I need it again. Right? Some of you are smiling and nodding, going, oh, snap, he's got, yeah. <laughs> um, but we often see it this way, right? Um, the problem is that I can go on the rest of my week completely disregarding God and everything that he stands for as long as I get my spiritual recharge on the weekends. This is not the way that God designed it. The, the last one we'll talk about is this, that uh, we can see church as sort of a spiritual courtroom. And so what, when I think of church, I think of the debt that I have to pay, right? And so sometimes I don't like to face that debt, and so I'll avoid it. And even though I get stuff in the mail, I'm going to rip it up or I'm going I'm to forget about it for a little while. And then eventually I get a, a, something in the mail that says, you need to come in today or else. And so we feel enough guilt pressing down on us, and we think, okay, fine, I relent. I'll go to church. And then when we leave, we feel absolved of the guilt for a time. And then we go about our regular, everyday life until we feel guilty again. All of these are incomplete, inaccurate pictures of what the church should be. Individually, each of them has problems, right? Um, but do you notice the common thread that's sort of running through each of them? There's something that binds them together. It's actually two things. The first is that they're all bound to a particular place and time, right? And so church happens on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock or whenever the service happens to be in, in stream. And when it's not, church is not happening, right? There's an issue with this, though, biblically, because the Bible says... God says to his Old Testament people, you think that I can be confined into a building that you've made with your hands? Do you realize I made your hands which made the building and you think I'm going to go sit and stay? I hung the stars in the sky. I created you out of the dust. And then you tell me, go here, live there. The second problem with it is this. Uh, all of these mentalities, there's something in common, and that common thread is you and me. When church becomes all about me, then it's never about God. And so oftentimes, church becomes about me, what I get from it, what I gain from it, what I, how I change from it, all about me, never about 
the, the collection of what's happening within that community. And so what happens is as churches, we tend to make consumers rather than disciples. We, we generate by our actions and by oftentimes what we think of the church, we generate people who consume the spiritual things of God rather than disciples who are willing to lay down their life as Jesus laid down his life. So, uh, now that I've tried to debunk some of those, what, what is it that the Bible says about church? Um, how does it look differently? Let me start with this. The Greek word for church in the New Testament is ekklesia. Can you say that with me? <laughs> I heard somebody go, uh-uh. <laughs> ekklesia. It's actually a two-part word, and it means to be called out of something, to be called from something. The idea where this came from is uh, from Roman society. An ecclesia was an assembly. It, it was a public gathering. And so what would happen is people would be called from their houses by decree of the government, and then they would gather in one central location in the town square, usually to hear the decree of the king, right? And so Caesar would, would say, hey, look, we got some business to do. I'm making some judgments. And so what I need for you to do is to come out of your homes, gather in one place, and I'm going to give you that decree. You're called from your homes to gather as an assembly, to be called out. That's what the word means. Um, and, and so we kind of see that here. Um, in Acts 20, Paul is talking about the church, and he says this, for, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. And so what we see here from Paul is that there is a group of people who are gathered together, who have been called out of something and, uh, and, and given a new task. And, and what he says is that this community has been bought with the blood of Jesus. He has he ransomed this church out of something to be a people, to be a flock. It is a community of people who are gathered for some reason. And so we need to ask what that reason is. And so if the original meaning of the word was to be called out of your houses, maybe that's it. But then we look in Colossians 4.15, it says, Paul says this, he's giving greetings to people, and he says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Okay, wait a second. So a church can meet somewhere other than a church building? Do you have to, like, stick a steeple on the house? You know, paint the windows a certain color. How, how does that all work? No, because a church is a community of people that have been called out. And so they haven't been called out of the house. So we need to ask the question, what have they been called out of? Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The answer is this, we are called out as the church from something, and that something is the pattern of thinking which defines the way of the world. And so the way of the world is thinking in a particular direction. It values certain things, it holds up certain things and says these are right and true. And what Paul is saying is, I, not I, but Jesus has called you out from that way of thinking to be something very, very different. 
So if I were to uh, define the church, this is kind of my layman's uh, definition as a, as a part-time theologian, I would say this, that the church is the community of God's redeemed people who are being transformed by God to fulfill their calling to be in relationship with one another and in mission to the world. Called out from the world, redeemed by Jesus, transformed by him to be in relationship with one another and to be in mission with the world. So in other words, we've been purchased from the world in order to go back into the world and live differently. To live for Christ, exactly. And so, here's another way to think about it. Uh, we, we like gardening analogies around here, so let me use one of these. Um, think of an orchard. All right, God sees an orchard, but instead of healthy trees, all the trees have, are dead and dying. There is no fruit to be found. There is just waste. The remnants of these trees, but no life exists. What God does is, by Jesus, he takes a tree out of that orchard, he plants it in his garden, he waters it, he makes it grow, and then he transplants it back into that dead orchard and says, go, create fruit, and drop that fruit among the dead trees. Not a bad picture, right? So this tree, which is now living, goes and lives among the dead trees, drops its fruit, and that fruit produces other new trees. The, the first tree that was planted in that dead garden that tree's name was Jesus. And then that tree produces other trees. Those trees are called disciples. You get enough disciples together, and that orchard is called the church. It is an orchard within an orchard, so to speak, of people who are making a difference in a dead and dying world. And so there are going to be things that make that orchard look differently than the surrounding world. Am I right? And so what, what we're uh, talking about this morning is what makes our orchard different than other ones. And we've been thinking about this for a little while. And uh, back in January, you know, we, we unveiled our mission and our mantra and uh, our vision and all of those things. One thing we haven't filled in the picture of just yet is our values. What, what are the things that we hold to as core values of the church which make us look differently in the world. And so what we're going to do this morning is unveil those values to you and what they mean for us for the rest of 2011 and 2012. Um, and I'm going to unveil them this way. Um, what, do, what does RPMs mean to you? What, what is that phrase, that, that acronym? Yeah, ro- rotations or revolutions per minute. Where do you see that often? Yeah, vehicles, right? Um, it refers to an engine which makes revolutions. And you gauge um, the, the health, if you will, the, the velocity, not so much the velocity, but the, the, the activity of the engine by the RPMs, right? It tells you whether the car's in idle, whether it's off, or whether it's revved up and ready to go. Um, so in the same way, we're going we're gonna to change it around a little bit. Instead of RPMs, we're going to talk about RTM. RTM, that, that is going to form the basis of how we value what we do here. It's going to help us to determine the things that we do and the things that we choose not to do, okay? Um, so RTM, the first R stands for relational. Um, relational. 
So we are a people who are in authentic community with one another. We seek to foster relationships that are overflowing with love, that are defined by grace and by hope, that welcome people from the surrounding community into the community of God, right? We, we are not just about being individual Christians. We are about a community of people. We are relational. And so what I would say is that we are trying to create an atmosphere of belonging. Um, Jesus puts it this way in John 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, meaning love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are you getting the picture here? If you love one another, love one another. Why is it so important? Because relationships are at the core of what God designed for his people. And so when we talk about what we're going to do as a church, we're going to use this relational element to decide whether or not it's worth doing. Are we creating, by doing something, an event, a a program, a ministry, an opportunity, are we going to create individual Christians who are self-sufficient, or are we going to foster relationships of grace, hope, and love? That's going to be the question that helps us define what it is that we do. Um, second one is this, transformational. So we have relational, then transformational, R-T. Transformational means that we are people of change. We're not just hanging out together. As much as we love one another, we want to see the best for one another, and that means changing into the people that God has intended for us to be. And so we're people who desire to become more like Jesus, literally to have him reign in all areas of our life. So what we're trying to create is an environment not just of relationships but life change. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in other words, we need to be the right kind of soil in order for Jesus to take root in our lives. We are relational, and we are transformational. So we're going to ask things like this. Of all of the, the, the environments in which we do ministry, are we creating consumers? who do nothing but consume the religious goods that we provide to them, or are we creating disciples who wish to lay down their lives and be transformed by the power of God at work in them? Relational, transformational. The last is this, missional, R-T-M. We are people not just of relationships, not just of transformation, but we are people of hope who are rooted in Christ in order to demonstrate his love in tangible ways and communicate his story in powerful ways. We want to demonstrate God's love, and we did that in a remarkable way yesterday by feeding 70 families. That's amazing. At the same time, we want to be pointing the way to the one who gives us the opportunity to provide that love for people. We want to tell his story to others and say, don't look at us, look at God and how good he is. That's our job as a church. Jesus put it this way, Again, I say, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Church, by its very nature, is not a place that is drawn away from the world. It is a place and a people who are sent into the world to make a difference. So we're going to ask questions like this. Does what we do communicate not just the message of the gospel, but the music of the gospel? Does it allow people to hear what God is doing in the world and in their lives? And if so, are we following that up with the message and, and the, the words of the gospel into their lives so that they can play, not just hear the music, but play the music themselves? Relational, transformational, and missional. Those are the three elements of our value system that we're going to use to determine how we move forward as a church. You can't do one without the other. It's not like we can say we're going to be really relationally great at the expense of the other two, right? That's just a potluck. It's, it's not the other elements involved in the equation. So we will be incomplete as a church if we're missing one of these things. It's why it's important to hold them together. So let me ask you this. How would you rate yourself? Being honest, how, how, would, you, how would you rate your own life when you're looking at yourself? Would you say, I am, I am very relationally healthy, and yet I really struggle with kind of the mission aspect of it? I, I, I want to foster relationships with other people, but I'm not looking to be transformed? Maybe you come from a, kind of a, a background where transformation is held up really high. We all need to be transformed in Jesus, but I don't really care about other people. I'm just looking to be transformed myself, and I really don't care about the world. Maybe it could be the opposite. Maybe you're missionally high on the board. You, you really want to see others come to know Jesus. You want to display God's love in tangible ways to people, but you struggle to relate with other people who are within the church. How would you rate yourself? It's an important question for all of us to ask. Let me give you kind of my assessment of us as a church. I think that as a church body, we are really great relationally. Um, The way that you guys embrace others is amazing to me. On Thursdays, when we have the... People come through for the food pantry, and Saturday I got a chance to see it. Um, It it is a thing to behold, let me tell you. On Sunday mornings, people come and are embraced in a very real way. Um, The testimony to this is that in terms of the people that we've um, had visiting us for the purpose of looking for a a new church body from September until now, we haven't lost a single person. It's come through our doors. Not a single person has come through our doors and said, I'm looking to check out this church that has then left the church and said, no, those guys are off base. That's a tremendous testimony to the relational strength of the church, is it not? I think it is. Um, I think we're getting better at the missional piece, too. I think we're getting better at being a, a people that display the love of Christ and are starting to follow it up with the words as well. Um, I think we have a little bit of a ways to go on the transformational end of things. That for us, um, we haven't, by and large, been a place that is serious about seeing ourselves 
and others transformed. And so we need to look at that as a church. Why is this something that needs to improve? And we'll be doing that as we look at 2012. It's important for us to have clearly defined values because those values are really the only way of measuring whether or not we're attaining our mission. They form the basis of what we do. And we're going to do them in primarily six ways. And so I'm going to go through these really, really fast. But there are six streams of ministry that we're going to be talking about and doing, accomplishing as a church. And these six things are going to define what we put our energy to. And so if they fall outside of these six things, they may be good things, but they may be things for other churches to accomplish and not us. And so the six things are this. We want to be great at our Sunday celebrations. And so that's this morning. You guys are part of it. Welcome. Um, We we want to do life groups really well. Uh, Cultivate kids is a crucial area of ministry that we're going to invest ourselves into. The youth ministry, which is starting to take off and do quite a bit of of work. Um, Community building events, so things like the chili cook-off and uh, and, uh, other events that we do together as a body. And then action projects. The point of these is that we are going to try to infuse all of these environments with our three values. And we're going to use our values to judge whether or not those environments are successful or not. They don't meet all three criteria, then we need to look at what can we do to get better at those areas. Um, So let me give you a couple things that kind of key me in on to whether we're doing okay on them. Um, From January until now, did you know that we've had 46 Sunday celebrations? I think I've got that right. 46 Sunday celebrations. Um, Over that time... And, and let me give you a bit of a background. Before, before that time, before January, for, for most of the church's history, before we were Cultivate, um, we were doing messages that were written for someone else, by someone else, in someone else's world. Since then, 46 times, we have had messages written by Cultivate, for Cultivate, in Cultivate, through Cultivate, what God is doing at Cultivate Church. That's a, that's a pretty tremendous change, I would say. Along with that, we have made a, a drastic shift in terms of our life group to devote time and energy to developing curriculum that goes along with those messages. And so the message that you hear on Sunday is the same one that you discuss and apply to your life in life groups. Drastic shift. And so I, I need to thank Steve for his work in that, really, and uh, as well as John and Pete, who had been doing it before him. Just a tremendous work. And Melissa, too. I know she helps out with that, so I've got to make sure that I, I've... That they're, they're a great pair. And, um, and, and they've been working very hard to make sure that that comes out every Sunday evening for our first life group that meets on Monday night. We have two that meet on Monday nights. Um, we have 40, speaking of life groups, we have 43 people who are active in life groups. Over the course of the year, that's 68% participation. That, that is uh, far better than many, many, many churches who only meet on Sunday mornings. Over that time, we have doubled the size of our children's ministry. I don't know if you're aware of this. Doubled it. Yeah. 
I wasn't going to take credit, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, youth ministry, which started up at the beginning of the summer, is doing tremendous work. Um, I, I think of, of what they're doing today. I mean, talk about setting the bar. They are, are having lunch together, relationally. They, they're, gonna, they're studying the content of the message, transformation, and they're going out to rake people's leaves in order to tell them about God's love in a tangible way, mission. I mean, you have the three values tied up in just what they're doing today. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. To, to think of the growth that we've had as a church since January is, is unbelievable. Our mission is touching more people than it ever has before. Our vision for the future is larger than it ever was before. And now our values are helping us to focus on what's more important than at any point that we've had before. We have more people serving today than ever before. But I need to be honest about a problem, kind of in the midst of all of this. That even though our footprint for ministry has continued to grow throughout 2011... Our giving hasn't been matching our growth. It hasn't matched. And so while our impact is increasing, our giving has gone down. And so what you see actually up there on the screen is just a picture of our attendance over the three months since our launch, which is going up, it's trending up, uh, paired with our giving, which is trending down in the opposite direction. Uh, I, I wanted to bring this before you as we were talking about church just to be real about it, one, to, to identify the issue, but also, two, uh, to, to give you some of my theories as to why this may be occurring. And so one of the things that's easy to do when uh, there is a symptom is to blame the people rather than look at the leadership. And so I want to be honest with you about the leadership. Um, there are a couple things that I have as a theory as to why this is occurring. Um, You'll notice this morning, if you look at your bulletin, in the place where we're reporting financial information, and we do this pretty much every week, um, there is a bit of a change in that. Um, Instead of reporting year-to-date from January, what we've done is reported our harvest giving. That means from September until now. So that's the harvest phase. We went through dig, sow, and now we're in harvest. That's the giving report that we've had since September. What I realized is that uh, in terms of our giving report, we we were reporting a budget of $22.50 a week and uh, and then our giving. Our giving was well above our budget all the way through the year, even the summer. And, And if you know anything about churches, summer tends to be the time when churches take the hardest hit. And so we, we left it low, 2250 to kind of give us some extra cap, some space, in case that budget went down through the July and August months. Last time I talked to you about giving was actually at the end of July, and I reported that we were doing phenomenally well, and we were, and we continued throughout August. Um, but we realized that this gave somewhat of an inaccurate picture, because we were reporting 2250 a week, and we were well exceeding that. But that doesn't mean that we were exceeding or reaching what we hope to be our vision for the future, and so I'd like to paint that for you. Um, we were meeting operating expenses. Something changed, though, in September 
we made a, a bit of a shift, and we didn't explain that, and that's where the leadership comes in because I dropped the ball in terms of communication to you guys. We changed the budget from 2250 a week up to 3000 and part of the reason is because you guys were knocking the ball out of the park, to be frank. I mean, just really fantastic, phenomenal, generous people who are investing in the life of this church, and I'm so thankful for that. And so we made a change to 3000 for a few reasons. One was because we had a launch coming up, and we were investing money into that, and we wanted to, that to be reflected in the budget. The second is because, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we don't own this facility. We are renters here who are looking to buy. And that purchase we are looking to happen um, either by the end of the year or by the first month of 2012. That's really close. I'm not sure if you looked at your calendar. We're talking about Christmas up here, right? That's really close. Um, but we haven't kind of talked about that very much, and so I apologize for that. But that's part of the reason that we, we're devoting money extra into the budget to prepare for that purchase. The third thing is this. Our, our finance team has had the intention to hire a full-time pastor um, by the end of the year. I don't know who this guy is, but he's got a lot of work ahead of him. <laughs> if he only knew. I'm kidding. Um, some of you are like, wait. <laughs> um, you may not know this also, that I, I'm not full-time here yet. Um, for most of the year, all the way through the summer, I was three days a week. In um, September, what happened, when the budget increased, I also increased one day a week to four. And as a church, we're looking to have a, a person on full-time. And so that, that's not just something that I desire and w- want to work towards. It's something that the church desires and wants to work towards. Um, to be honest, I have another job. It's not like I'm searching for money. Um, I, I occupy my time when I'm not here <laughs> pretty well, actually. And, uh, it, but I, I do have another job that keeps me, me busy, but I'm looking to spend all, you know, all of my career here and, and not doing that. And so that's the reason we're trying to, I you know, want to make that transition. It isn't for my own benefit, but for the churches. Because here's the thing. If, if we were a spiritual Disneyland, spiritual courtroom, spiritual whatever, that primarily had its mission invested in Sunday morning, that you could get away with a part-time guy. You really could. I mean, somebody just to write the sermons, show up on Sunday in sort of a, a clean, you know. Maybe they would tuck their shirt in. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, full-time guys tuck their shirt in. I'm not promising anything. But, <laughs> um, but you could get somebody to do that. But here's the thing. Our vision is far, far, far bigger than that. Far bigger. Far bigger. We don't desire just to be a church that gathers on Sunday morning and then scatters back to our own everyday lives because that won't change the world. I believe with everything that is within me that God has us here to be relational, to be transformational, to be missional, and to see life change really happen in the world. That's why we're here, and it requires people who are devoting their time to it. It requires also partners who are willing to gather together to see it come to fruition. It requires that. It needs it. 
the third thing is this. Not, not only are we looking to purchase a facility, which, by the way, is a phenomenal deal, and we're going to be talking more about that in the coming days. Not only are we looking to increase staffing in order to accomplish our mission, we're going global. And, and so I alluded to the fact that we're, I had some kind of announcement. And so this morning I want to tell you about what we're going to be doing globally. Um, we have the opportunity not just to see people changed locally, although that's important, not just the opportunity to see people change regionally, although that's important. Um, I think God has given us a vision to see people changed internationally. And uh, so we are going to be partnering with an organization to do that. And I want to show you a video from that organization that's going to help us do that. And I'll, I'll say this before it shows. Um, they're going to talk about Kenya, okay? It's not Kenya. <laughs> so when this started, that organization was primarily working in Kenya, and since then they've broadened their outreach. And so we'll talk about it on the other side. But I want you, I want you to see what they do. Check it out. People typically go to Africa, they see uh, just desperate conditions, very, very poor people, lack of clean water, no health care, the schools are really bad. No one should have to live like this. A lot of babies are being born on the side of the road. People are dying every day because they don't have water. They see all these these problems and they, they just throw up their hands and they say, we really have no way of helping. Where most organizations doing really great work are, are really an inch deep and a mile wide. They want to go do what they do really, really well anywhere they can. What we're really looking to do is to turn that model on its side. What we really want is all of those people that are doing really great work to go do it in a particular place. We're not going to be leaving them. After one trip has come and gone, there's going to be another and there's going to be another. Until we can help you accomplish what you hope for your own future, get you self-sustaining as a community. We were looking to build a bridge between the U.S. and, and Kenya. The 410 bridge really has a development model. But phase one is a very short phase. It may be one project. In phase two, it's capital intensive. It is water projects, schools, medical clinics. Phase three is really the intangible projects. It is discipleship programs. It's, it's aimed more at the people's heart. We have very big hearts full of love for each one of you. We really want people to hear the music of the gospel before they hear the words. And if they hear the music of the gospel, they're more inclined to listen to the words. What we really are looking for is people here in the U.S. to invest into a, a particular community, a place, for the long term. We measure our success not by what we do for them, but, but really what they do for themselves. Because they really are doing it on their own. And I'm the one who planted, who planted this post uh, with my hands. Simply because I like the community to continue. And dreams start to form, and then when dreams start to form, and then they actually start to come true, and people realize for the first time they don't have to walk 10 or 15 miles to go get water because there's a well there, and they see their community, and they see it differently, and there's hope, and there's excitement, and there's a desire, and this feeling of we have something going on now. So it's groups of people sponsoring or coming alongside groups of people in Kenya. And again, when you see God at work in that, in that process, uh, it's an indescribable thing. It's because people have come alongside and, and, and 
been brothers and said, we're, we're going to help you and you're going to help us at the same time and something's going to change and God's going to be right in the middle of all of it. It's, it's going to be beautiful and it is. and the direction that you've given us at Cultivate. And we just thank you for it, that it comes from you. We thank you for Jay, Lord, as well, for the blessing that he is to us. We ask, Lord, as we continue this morning, that you'd help us to respond to your calling. We pray, Lord, that you'd take the gifts that we have this morning and that you would use them for your purpose and that in this place we could say, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord in this place for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.